Welcome back to the Ewok Podcast. Today's going to be a little bit different since Robbie is not available to preach. But one of our members has stepped up to the plate and has brought something from the Word of God that we hope touches your life just as deeply as Robbie's teaching. Well, without further ado, here is a message from one of our members. If you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2, I'd like to continue in a message that I had started, and the um, the title of the message was uh, "Blessings of an Overcomer." Blessings of an Overcomer. The last time that I spoke, we had talked about what an overcomer was or is. It's not was, is, excuse me. An overcomer one is one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and God has changed their life. Now, it isn't just because Christ has come into your life, but it means that you are overcoming daily things in your life and becoming more and more mature in Christ, okay? It doesn't just stop with you coming to Christ and now I'm an overcomer. There is evidence of being an overcomer. Now, each and every one of us struggle in these areas of our life, whether it's in our tempers or whether it's in our, our lust in our minds or whatever it is. We each have our own individual things that bother us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the pride, pride of life, all these things are in us, in the flesh. But when you came to Christ, there was a new man that entered you, and you became changed. And so on a daily basis, we should be able to becoming overcomers of those things. Doesn't mean we won't fall and fail and, and slide back on some of that, but we won't live there. We won't continue to be in that area. That's what makes you an overcomer. Now, what I'm addressing today is, is the persecuted church in Revelation chapter 2. And the reason I, I say this is, is because Christ had wrote, written to them through John, and this church was going through great persecution to the point that they were being martyred for their faith. Okay? Smyrna. And John writes to them through the encouragement of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords and says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown. And the crown is the crown of life. Eternal existence. That this life is temporal, this body's gonna die, you'll be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That is an overcomer. To be faithful unto death, to go through that process, to die and be willing to be wait for that eternal state was the one who was showing that they were overcomers. Not the ones that were running away from it, but the ones that were standing firm and going through it. They were overcomers. Um, so when we get down into verse, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the reason I emphasize the word churches is because it's not just addressing Smyrna. It's addressing all the churches that go through persecution. The body of Christ that suffers. And all those that, let's say, martyrs for Christ, they shall receive a crown of life. But it's the churches. You are the church. It's to you. But the verse I want to key in on, he who overcomes shall not be heard of the second death. And the reason I want to key in on that verse is because sometimes I think when we see those gifts that God is going to give us, is we don't fully comprehend the importance or the real excitement of what we're going to receive. I mean, in each one of these, Christ promises to the overcomer. For instance, the first one in Ephesus, he that overcomes, I will give him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. What's that mean? We're going to go back to Eden. What was back at Eden? There was no sin. If Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life, they would have been continually living forever 
in the presence of God. Walking with God, talking with God, enjoying God in Eden. But because of the aid of the tree of the good and evil, death came upon the whole world. And you notice they were cast out away from God, separated from God, to die. So the importance of this, he that overcomes shall inherit something. I'm going to give you a gift. Are you excited for the gift? Think about the gift that he's going to give you. And we're going to look at this because I think we have to go back and understand what this gift means to fully develop our our love for what is going to take place. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death. He that overcomes should not be heard of the second death. Do I really anticipate what this is saying? We know that death has come upon all men. We know that it is an appointed unto men all to die, once to die. But after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 to 27 says very clearly. This verse in context is great. It's great news. If you go to Hebrews chapter 9 for just a second, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, so I hope I don't take, I hope I don't hold you up. If you feel you need to leave, then, you know, just free to get up and go, okay? Um, right now, there's going to be a lot of things I'd like to look at because I want to develop this in a way of uh, understanding, to understand what the second death is. I know that you've probably seen a lot of these verses. But I'd like to go into those texts and look at them very clearly. If you go to chapter 9 of of Hebrews and start in verse uh, 23, it says, Therefore, it was necessary for the copy of the things in heaven should be purified with, uh, with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which is a copy of the true, but into the heaven, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the most high place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as he is appointed man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for, wait for him, he will appear the second time apart from sin for salvation. That is a marvelous verse. Judgment. He took judgment for us. And we're not going to suffer that judgment that he took for us. He's going to appear the second time for us with salvation. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Over there you'll find it speaks about the wage of sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says this. Am I reading the right verse? Yeah. Verse 23. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word death there is judgment. The wage of sin is physical death, but after physical death, there is judgment. And that's what he's talking about that in that verse. He said, after you physically die, there's a judgment coming which is eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He tasted death, the judgment that was going to come upon us for us at the cross. He took it for us at the cross. Also, in First Thessalonians, 
chapter 5. I'm not going to turn there. You'll find where Paul talked about how he wanted to present your body, your soul, and your spirit perfect at the coming of Christ. Some believe in a dichotomy, which means we believe that the soul and the spirit are intertwined with each other and the body. So you have two, two instead of three. I believe in a trichotomy. I believe there is body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Now, whatever way you take that, that's up to you. Okay? I'm just saying that that's the way I go as a trichotomy, not a dichotomy. But if you want a dichotomy, I have no problem with you being a dichotomist too. Okay? You understand that? Okay? That the soul and the spirit are one with each other, and so they look at it as one, and the body is two. Okay? But in that text, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, if you want to know where that is, that I want to present at the coming of Christ your whole body, your whole spirit, and your whole soul perfect and mature. I want to develop in you that you are conquerors, overcomers, physically in your body, your soul and your spirit is made perfect in Christ. Okay? Because there is a judgment coming. A judgment. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the second death? We see the first death all around us. Who hunted this year? I did. Who got their deer this year? Jody did. Kyle did. Anybody else? I didn't. <laughs> what I was trying to say is, you had to take the life of that animal. So the very thing that you saw was death. The shedding of that blood was the death of that animal. Now God allows that. He blesses us. He just says, take it, be thankful, use it for food, nourish your body, stay alive. But we know death is all around us. We've seen loved ones die. We just look outside, we see the trees themselves are dying. The limbs die, they break off. We see the grass dies every year. Death is around us, so we know what physical death looks like. But who knows what spiritual death, the second death, looks like? Have we ever experienced the second death? No. The second death is, is that we just come to an understanding is because the Bible teaches it and Jesus taught it, that there is a second death. And so, how can we understand this? How can I comprehend the second death? How can I fully understand it? The second death is a place of judgment, it says in the Word of God. The Bible calls it out of darkness. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 to, uh, 10 to 12. If you go to Matthew chapter 8, you can read it for yourself. Jesus spoke about it. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Keep losing my place here. <clears throat> uh, no, that ain't the right one. Sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Sorry. I'm reading it backwards. Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. And Jesus heard it. He marveled and he said to those who followed Surely I say to you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. Uh, no, that's not the right one either. Oh, yes, it is. And he, said, and, he, and he says to you that many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the rejection of Christ, even though they were religious, even though they spent time in church, in the synagogue, even though they read the Bible, the Old Testament, they still was going to come a time where they would not put their faith in the Messiah, in Christ. And because of that, they would be cast aside into outer darkness, Jesus said. They would go into a place at death where they would call it outer darkness, judgment. 
What I'm trying to say is, outer darkness is a total blackness from my understanding that can be felt. It's a place of loneliness, of just being by yourself. Have you ever been in a room by yourself where it's been pitch black and you can't see anything? No light at all. How does it make you feel? Insecure? Afraid? Maybe gasping for a little air? My wife, she hates confined spaces. She's claustrophobic. Uh, you talk to somebody that gets into a confined space, gasping for air. She's coming out of that wall somehow, some way. Doesn't matter. She's going through it. But that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is we have friendship and we have love and we have community and we have loved ones by us all the time. People. How would you like to be in a place where there is no people? Just you and your sin in outer darkness, the second death. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is talking about the wedding feast in this text. The king has prepared a wedding for his son. He sent the invitations out before this wedding, long before the wedding ever was ready to be taking place. But now the time has come for the wedding. And so he sends his servants out and he says, go out to those people that I invited that know that this is going to happen, that it's going to come, and tell them everything's ready. The sacrifice has been made. The dinner's prepared. The wedding's ready. Please come. Well, the people out there said, well, I don't have time for it. I'm too busy. I got a business to run. Man, you're asking me to do too much. You got some that were just, ah, it's not important enough for me to go. Who's the king's son anyways? From, I tell you, from what I take from the text is these were important people because the king didn't just go out and ask um, the poor and the needy to come to his wedding. These were important people that he asked already that were prepared to come to the king's meal, if you know anything about kings. They weren't out there asking those that were in rags and, and the paupers and all those that were out there in the highway and the byways to come into this wedding. It was already prepared for the social group. And the social group, the hierarchies, were saying, I don't have time for you, king. And it infuriated him. He was mad. And so he goes on to explain, and he goes on and says they didn't come. In fact, to the point, he sends out more servants for them to come, and it says some of them used them spitefully, and to the point where they killed them. Don't bug me about coming to the king's wedding. I'm not coming. If you keep bugging me, I'm going to take you to the woodshed. <laughs> That's where it is. To the point where they killed the servants. The king was furious, so what did he do? He sent his army out and killed them. Destroyed them. He says, okay, you don't want to come? You're doing all this? Okay, I'm going to destroy you and I'll destroy your city. And he did. And then he said to his servants, okay, now you go out the highways, the byways, and all the places around and you invite people to come. And you bring them in. Because my wedding is ready. It is here. And they go out and they find people. And it says they found the what? The good and the bad. Out in the highways and the byways of life. And they compelled them to come in. They came in. And it says when they came in, they had to get dressed up. They couldn't just come in with their old dirty clothes because you could come before the king without being clean. And so they got cleaned up. And they put on what they call the wedding garment. And so when the king comes out and looks across the people, he sees them all in the same garment. It was probably nice and sparkly and white and whatever. And he looks across and he says, wow, this is good. And then she's up back. Uh-oh, somebody ain't got a garment on. And so he goes out and he talks to the guy that doesn't have the garment. And he says, how'd you get in here? How come you're not washed up and clean? How'd you come in? Oh, I just come in. I came in on my own. 
I just wanted to come. He says, where's the wedding garment? Well, I don't have a wedding garment. And he says, because of that, I'm in the darkness. Because he's not a part of my wedding feast. He does not have the robe of the wedding. The parallel is this. You and I are going to a wedding. It's called the marriage wedding of the Lamb. And we've already got a garment. You know what the garment is? It's the robe of righteousness. Not our righteousness. It's not our robes. It's not our clothes. It's the robe of righteousness that Christ has given us. God gave it to us through Christ by salvation. And we are going to be there. That's the picture. But the picture is those that do not put their faith in Jesus Christ will be cast into outer darkness, which is called the second death. This microphone is not staying on my face. <laughs> we also have called the eternal fire in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 to 46. Jesus makes mention that judgment is an eternal fire. Anybody ever been burned? Maybe off a stove or whatever, you've been burned. Does that bird still very sensitive? I know if you were really burned deeply, like a three or third degree burn, it burns into the, the nerve endings of the body, and it's a constant pain. It never ends. My wife had shingles. Anybody had shingles? Did your pain go away? It has eventually. It took a long time, didn't it? And it was like a knife being driven into you all the time. My wife still has the pains. It's still there. And it's constant. All the time. It doesn't settle down. She takes some Advil or something for it. But it doesn't really stop it. It's like a knife being pushed into you all the time, into your nerve endings. It's constant. That's what this fire it's pain all the time, never ending, never stopping, just continuous, continuous, continuous. So it's out of darkness, and it's painful. In Jude, verse 7, it says that it would be everlasting punishment in eternal fire. I like the book of Jude. I was going to do a series on the book of Jude. It's a very interesting book. It's talking about an apostate system. It's talking about having people that come in amongst you, that, that eat amongst you, but they're bringing in false doctrine, denying the Christ that bought them, denying that Jesus came in the flesh, the whole thing like First John is talking about. It's a great book. Um, but anyways, um, eternal punishment, everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, 46, eternal punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, fiery furnace. Matthew 13, 86, uh, 36 to 43. Since you're right there in Matthew, let's look at Matthew 13. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 36. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went up into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, you know the story of the tares and the wheat, I hope. And he goes on to talk to them. And he says, He who sows a good seed is the Son of Man. Well, who's the Son of Man? Jesus, right? The field is the world. So Jesus is sowing the word of God in the world. And the good seed is, are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So, he's sowing in the world, you and I, the good tares, the son of God, the sons of man, the son of gods. And also the wicked one is sowing what? His sons in this world too. Correct? But did you know the tare and the wheat look alike? They look exactly the same. When they're growing, they look exactly like a wheat. 
And that's what he's talking about. He says, the enemy sold to them, the devil, and the harvest is the, uh, um, let me say, the enemy who sold them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the, fi into the furnace fire. There will be wailing and gnashings of teeth. Why would there be wailing and gnashings of teeth? This has always been a question to me. Why would they be wailing and gnashings of teeth? You ever thought about that? I have. It's because people think they deserve to go to heaven and not come the way God told them to come. And so when God says, you can't come and I'm casting you out into the outer darkness, there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Bitterness at God. How dare you? I worked my way to you forever. I did this. I preached the gospel. I, 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 I did all these religious things. I went to church. I went to Sunday school. I was baptized. And yet you say, you never knew me. You see, that's why there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth because of the anger toward God. How dare you cast me away into everlasting fire? Is, is that what God wants? That's not what he wants. He wants you to come to him. But we have to come the right way. We can't come like the guy came in with the dirty garment. We have to come the king's way. We can't come to him the way we think we can come to him by religiosity by just coming to church at Sunday school and being good people. We have to come distinctly by faith and faith alone in Christ. And that's it. And if we come any other way, he's going to cast you off and you're going to be one that says, how dare you, God? I did this, this, this for you and you're cast to be away. You'll be angry and mad. And you will be at the lake of fire. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. And he, he who has an ear, let him hear. Where do we hear that? Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So God is saying to us, listen up, folks. Pay attention. There is a real hell. There is a real eternal life. There is a real second death. This death is a fire of pain and suffering. This is a place of outer darkness where you don't have your buddy beside you. I was witnessing to a great friend of mine. And that's one of the things he said. I'll be there with my buddies in hell. And I said, no, you won't. Your buddies will be there, but it will be a total separation. There will not be a buddy plan there. It will be a single plan. <sighs> Matthew 25, verse 40. 25, verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say unto you, inasmuch as you did this, did this did it to one of the least of my these in my brother and you did it to me now as we read down through this uh, uh, Matthew 25 verse uh, 46 I guess is the word I wanted and these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life now you notice there are two types of people here and they both are doing the same thing one is doing it because of the love of God. The other one isn't doing it at all, necessarily. Um, he talks about those on the right hand and those on the left in this text. He talks about those and how the ones on the right fed Christ. Remember Christ said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say unto him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and then naked and clothe you? 
Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say unto you, in so much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. We've been studying First John. And it talked about how if you see your brother in need, what are you supposed to do? I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pray for him. Go on and say, brother, I'm going to pray for you. I know you're naked. I know you need food, but I'm going to pray for you. That someone comes along and feeds you and clothes you. While I've got this big heavy jacket on and a tunic underneath, and, and I've got some food in my pocket and uh, money, but I'm going to pray for you. Go away in peace. That's what he's talking about here. First John. He's talking about when you see the need of a brother, you automatically are doing it. Not because you have to, but because you have a desire in your heart because the Holy Spirit has placed it in you to do it. That's what First John's talking about. It's comparing those that are really filled with God's Spirit and those that are not. Those that are false professors and those that are real in God's Word. Then he goes on and talks about the other group. And he does the same thing. He says, I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. Da, 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 all the way down through. And these are the ones he talks about at the end here. He says, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous. Now, it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to you that causes you to do those things. These didn't have the imputation of Christ's righteousness. In Matthew 13, oh, we already looked at that. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 17. 2 Peter chapter 2, ver, uh, chapter 4, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. Speaking about false teachers here. Peter was warning that false teachers were going to come. They hadn't already been, they were not necessarily in the body or in the um, uh, assembly at that moment of time. But he's writing to the believers saying, this is coming. This is coming. And this is what's going to happen. But remember, I'm dealing with the second death. Okay? So that's what we need to focus on. And so in 2 Peter chapter 2, Starting in verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell, Hades, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, the lake of fire, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the whole world, on the, on the whole world of ungodly, and turn the city of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lord, who was oppressed by the filthiness of the wicked conduct, for the righteous man dwelt among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise authority. They are presumptuous self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels who are greater in power might not uh, and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. The ultimate end was judgment. False teachers, the ultimate end is our judgment. If you're a false teacher, the ultimate end is your judgment. You're denying the word of God. If you read the end of Revelation, what's it say? If you take away from the book or add to the book, and I know it's speaking about Revelation, but you could do that with all the book. If you add to the book and take away from the book, then the judgments that are going to come upon you will come. Because a true believer does not want to take away from the book and it does not want to add to the book. It wants to conform to the book. It wants to bring about a life that says, this is what God says and I want to conform myself to it. 
I don't want to fight against it. I don't want to argue against it. I don't want to take from it. I want it to be what it is. And I want to set up my theology, my doctrine, my direction of walk according to what the scripture says. Not according to what Kern says. Okay? Not according to what Robbie says. Not according to what Russell says. Not according to what Kevin says. Not according to what Lee says. But according to what the Word of God says. We have to speak the same things. We have to live the truth. The Word of God. It says it's a lake of burning sulfur. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. If you go to Revelation chapter 19... Verse 20, it says, And then the beast was captured with him, the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Alive. They weren't dead. And it says they were there for a thousand years, alive, in the lake of fire. Because Christ will reign for a thousand years. And the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. In other words, he had all the vultures come and said, come to the great feast, birds. There's a lot of people dead here. Come and clean it up. And the birds are going to come and eat the flesh of men. It says they're the flesh of kings, the flesh of important people. But the false prophet and the beast are cast alive into the lake of fire. And it says they will be there for a thousand years. And they're still there now. It doesn't end. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And it says over there, Satan is going to have a rebellion. And it says, now when a thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And we'll go into the uh, deceived nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, together to battle uh, whose number is of the sands of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp and the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's a long time. Ever and ever. But you notice, this was after the thousand-year reign of Christ, and they were still there. They weren't consumed. They weren't burned up. They were there, suffering the torment and the pain of the fire and the darkness of hell. <clears throat> Excuse me. The lake of fire, the second death, Revelation 20, verse 14, Revelation 21, 8. It will be unquenchable fire, Matthew 3, 12, Luke 3, 15 to 17. In Luke's gospel, it's talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is preaching. And he says, the Messiah is going to come after he, and he's going to either baptize you with the Spirit or with fire. Now, I know there's some that teach that word fire there means that you're going to speak with tongues. The tongue believers believe that he's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with the speaking of tongues relating to Acts chapter 1 verse, um, I can't remember the verse, but where it says the tongues of fire came down onto the apostles and they began to speak with tongues. They relate that verses to that. But if you read it in context, it's not talking about tongues of fire. It's talking about judgment. Either you're going to be baptized with the Spirit or you are going to be baptized with judgment, one or the other. And if you go to those, those texts, I'll show you what I was talking about. If you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. 
It's not talking about being baptized with the holy tongues and slain in the spirit. It's talking about judgment. I love my charismatic brothers. It's just that sometimes we take scripture out of context and we apply it to some place where it doesn't need to be applied. If we just leave it where it lays and read it for what it says, you won't get messed up. In, Josh, in, in, in Matthew 3, in verse 12, uh, verse 11, John says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Some manuscripts don't have the word fire in there, the NU, uh, the, the minor text doesn't have it in there. But if you go over to, the, uh, to Luke's gospel, it does. So you'll find it over there. But anyways, it says, uh, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then verse 12 will tell you what the fire is. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse, uh, clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What's he talking about? He's talking about the chaff and the wheat. He's talking about the, the, the product of what the wheat produced was grain. Okay? And he says the chaff, which is the stubble and the leftovers, will be burned up. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, you guys are like wheat. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The chaff is going to be baptized with fire. Judgment. If you go to Luke's Gospel, you'll see the same text over there, Luke chapter 3. Because there is a message to my madness. And I will get to it in a minute. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 3. Uh, verse. Uh, let me see. 15 is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's addressing the same subject. Um, in verse 16 he talks about being baptized. Either baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he talks about that same subject. He says they'll be burned with unquenchable fire. Okay, so it's the same text as Matthew. But in this text, you see that the word fire is, is there in the text. Okay. This is the crutch of the message coming up. Because this is the burden that God has laid on my heart to speak about. I went through that to address the issue of what hell is going to be like, what the second death is going to be like. And then I went through there to show you that, that people are really there. Not in the second death, but they are in hell right now. People that have left this world that had no faith in Jesus Christ, who had not put their faith in the Son of God, who asked God to forgive them of their sins, asked Christ to be their Lord and Savior, are there today in this place called hell. That is the message I want to bring right now because it's a convicting to me as I get through this. And hopefully you will be convinced in your hearts to be maybe motivate you even more to speak to people and think about their loved ones that may not have known Christ who are in hell right now. If you would go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. I'm hoping that this motivates you the way it's motivated me. In Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 19, and I know you guys have read this a million times. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This man was rich, very rich. He had lack of nothing. He had all the provisions in the world. He had all the riches in the world. He had all the fine clothing, all the fine food. He ate well. 
Next verse. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. I find it interesting that the rich man didn't have a name or that Jesus chose not to even say his name. But yet this beggar has a name. I'll say something after that. Named Lazarus, full of sores, and who was laid at his gate. This means the beggar didn't come there on his own. He was put there. He was laid at his gate. Somebody brought him and laid him at the rich man's gate, hoping that the rich man would somehow feel compassion for this guy and meet some of his needs. Okay? Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. In other words, the very scraps that were sweeped up and put in the garbage and tossed out. Lazarus just wanted the very crumbs. Not the, the del he probably would have taken the delicacies that were on the table. <laughs> I know I would have. <laughs> but he wanted just the crumbs. From the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. This beggar had faith. This beggar believed God. And how do I know that? Because he was taken to what they call in the, in the New Testament paradise. Abraham's bosom. A place of temporary paradise. And so this guy, for him to be there, must have been a worshiper of the true God in a right way. He had to have faith in God. He was carried to Abraham's bosom. It said the rich man also died. And he was buried. He was buried. Okay? So, Jesus identifies as, as Lazarus as not as the body, but as a person. And he sees the soul of this individual, soul and spirit, in a place called paradise in Abraham's bosom. He identifies the rich man who had no time for the beggar, as somebody who was in the ground, dead, no name, no name. And being in torment in Hades, he lifts up his eyes and he saw Abraham of fire and Lazarus in his bosom. Number one, he was in torment. So he was feeling, he was sensing pain. Hell is not a place where you just be destroyed. It's a place where you go and you will spend eternity in a tormented place. You will feel it. Lazarus, he looks across and he says, Oh, there's Lazarus who laid at my gate. So he recognizes the person. He can see Abraham. He recognizes Abraham. He recognizes Lazarus. And he says over there, Hey, Abraham! Send Lazarus over here. And he cries and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. He's tormented where? In this flame. So he has feelings. He's being consumed by a flame that will never end. He's suffering. And he wants to be cooled by the very, just a tip of water on his tongue. Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Does that mean, is it, you know, that's like saying, well, it's, it's not good to be rich. It's better to be poor. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that Lazarus had faith and you trusted in your riches. That's what he's saying. You trusted in things and material goods and riches instead of trusting in God like Lazarus who had to trust in God. 
you trusted in your material wealth. I hope nobody here is trusted in their material wealth. I hope you're trusted in God and God alone. And besides all this, between us and you is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here pass to you. There is a great separation and we can't get to you and you can't get back to us. It is settled. You are there forever. You can't escape it. You can't make your decision there and how and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and change me. Nope. Because it's now. Today is the day of salvation, it says. Today. Today. The decision is made today, here, while you're alive, not when you die. He said, I beg you then, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that you may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. This is my message. How many of us know people that have gone and died without Christ? How many? We all have. Do you know they're in hell crying out saying, send somebody to tell my family. And we don't take it seriously. If you would just read this and think about it, of those that have died and without Christ are in hell in torment and saying, please go to my family. Please stop and talk to that person and tell them. I don't want them to come here. That convicts me. When I see somebody thinking about their lost one that did not know Christ and went out to eternity. Do you know their loved one is right there like this rich man saying to Abraham or saying to us, Go and tell them, please, so they don't come here. I can't change where I'm at now. But they can. And what did Abraham say? He said, I have five brothers that may testify to them. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. It's each one of our responsibilities to tell somebody. I don't mean to point my finger because when I point one, I'm pointing four at me. We have a responsibility to tell somebody about the love of Christ so that they don't go to hell if we truly believe there is a hell. That is a great burden. How many know somebody that has gone to hell without Christ? And they probably have family. I weep in my heart because I know people that have. And it breaks me to think that I don't take this serious enough to think about what hell is all about. No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Who rose from the dead? Jesus did. That means that some people just are going to be so stubborn that they're not going to listen. Even if one comes from the dead and told them there's a place called hell and you don't want to go there. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He rose from the dead and he's given us the message to take to the world to tell them that there is a place called hell and you don't want to go there. And that redemption is free. You can be redeemed. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through the one rise from the dead. You have the Moses and the prophets right in your hand. The word of God. This is what's going to lead people to Christ. Is the word of God. 
Just share it with them. Don't be afraid to. Think of the conviction. Think of the person that's gone and that's there that's crying, crying out to you. Please tell my loved ones. Please, please, please. It's vitally important that we understand this. So to get back to Revelation, you won't be heard of the second death. Are you so happy you sit there saying, I, I'm so happy I'm not going to be hurt by the second death. Ooh, great. Why I have no conviction on those around me and to be able to tell them so that they escape the second death? Do we sit in our laurels and our laziness and, <coughs> and I'm afraid to speak to this person? That's why I said, I think we need to understand what the second death is all about. So that you have a real burning desire to say to somebody, I care about you. I don't want you to be there. And they may ridicule you. They may laugh at you. They may. But if you're serious about this, let it laugh. Let them ridicule. It's only they're going to hurt themselves if they reject. But you've done your job. We need to be like Paul. He says, I am free from the blood of all men. Are we free from the blood of all men? Are we free from the blood of all men? When he was speaking to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, and he was talking to them, one of the things he stated to them, he says, I am free from the blood of all men. Why? Because I am, he said, I am constrained. That I need to tell everybody I come in contact with the love of Christ. That they need to be saved. They need to be uh, turned from their sins. He says it constrains me to do it. Are we constrained? Are we into the word enough to make it a constraining thing in our lives to say, God, this is the priority. My life is your priority. Whatever you want me to do, that's the priority. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to give my life to you. So I'm leaving that with you. The exhortation is to think about, think about hell, to think about what you've got. You're not going to be there as an overcomer, as one who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. You are not going to be in the second death. Do you care enough for those around you that are? Think about it. Please think about it. We're not going to do the last song, okay? We've spent enough time. I'm going to close in prayer. I'd like to ask if anybody does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, please come and see me after church. I'll talk with you. I'll sit down with you. I'll spend time with you. And if you don't want to talk with me, you can talk to one of the other leaders, Kevin, Lee, uh, Russell, Ham, uh, Corey, most of the people that, that, that know the truth, Kyle, Jody. You know, if you're a woman, you'd like to talk to somebody. Uh, please, free, uh, please do come to us and see us because I don't want, do not want to see you in the eternal hell that's coming upon this world. It is coming. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word and the conviction of it. Father, your word chastens us always. And there are two types of chastens, Lord. One is the word that penetrates our hearts and our souls and our minds and corrects us and encourages us and draws us to a direction of thought and a direction of life that we may be lacking in or been lazy in, Lord. I thank you for that. But then there's the other one of chastening, which is discouraging. Sometimes you allow and you back off from us and you allow the, the things of this world to scourge us, to, to, to beat upon us so that we'll come back and cry unto you, help, help, help. Father, help us to have a great burden for the lost. Help us to think of those that have gone before us, Lord. Lord, I think of Hebrews chapter 11, and it says we have a great cloud of witnesses watching what we're doing. And then, Father, I think of Hebrews where it says we need to run the race that is set before us. So, Lord, as you have burdened my heart and the hearts of these people, I ask that you would use them mightily, Lord. 
that you would work in the lives of our community. Father, prepare their hearts to hear the truth and to hear the word. And that, Father, you would set many people free from the onslaught of Satan's damning destruction that he has. Thank you again, in Jesus' name. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this sermon today from one of our uh, members here at the church. In light of Robbie not being here, we hope it's been influencing to your life and uplifting in your life. And we hope it just inspires you to push forward towards the prize. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, God bless.